uh, Pastor Dorian used to lead this congregation. It is truly a, a major privilege for me to have him back here, looking fresh, looking smooth. More importantly, a man of God's heart. He is a director uh, and leader of Umbono Company. And he'll share a little bit about that today. But what a man of faith. What a man of integrity. Thank you so much for sharing with us this evening. Can we give him a, a warm, hub welcome? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is so good to be back at the hub. I love the service. Do you love the service? Amen. I love that. That's a good answer. Yeah, amen. Hallelujah. You know, if anybody doubts whether God answers prayer, you just needed to watch the, the game between the All Blacks in South Africa last night and realize that, praise God, He does answer prayer. Amen. I just wish I'd prayed, Lord, help us not to be too embarrassed. I wish I'd prayed, Lord, give us a win because it was this close, right? But don't worry, the next game, we're on the right trend and uh, the next game is going to be what? It's going to be so good. Just watch. Amen. How many of you guys have been here for the last few weeks, three weeks, part of the Blessed series? Amen. So we're wrapping that up tonight, and uh, serve, and guys, thank you so much for asking me to come back here, and it's, uh, it's such a privilege to be here and part of this team and to see what God's doing in the Hub on Sunday evenings. But so we started this series three, three weeks ago, uh, four weeks ago, and um, the, um, the word bless is an acronym. And uh, it stands for, firstly, the B stands for, let's bless people with our words. Let's speak life. Let's speak encouragement. Let's prophesy God's blessing over people's lives. L stands for, listen to the Holy Spirit, because how many of you know that the Holy Spirit's our partner? And He wants to walk with us and lead us and guide us, and He wants to show us things. Not only just lead us into all truth, but He wants to help us lead other people into all truth with His assistance as well. And then, of course, one of my favorites, eat together. How many of you know it's so much nicer and easier to connect over a cup of coffee, a frizzochino, you know, kind of a Nando's, one of my all-time favorites, let's eat together. Let's take time to spend over a cup of coffee and some food. And then serve with love. And this really is just an illustration of God's heart. He paid the ultimate sacrifice. He served totally and completely in love, and we'd like to encourage you, each of us, to find opportunities to serve people with love. And then because Pastor Siv is really sophisticated, we made sure that the last S is another acronym, and the last S stands for SALT, and uh, SALT simply means let's start conversations. Let's ask questions, and when, when we ask questions, not, not just for the sake of asking, but let's listen intently to hear what God is saying, because they will tell us. People will tell us in their conversation what's really happening in their hearts. And when we hear what they've got to say, let's tell our story. Because you know what? We live in an age, when I was much younger, we lived in a different age. I'm only 50. I know, don't look at me like that weird. I know for some of you, that's like ancient. You know, kind of when we see those old movies and those old cars and people walking fast, my son wants to know, what was it like, Dad, in that time? I said, my boy, you have no idea. But when I was younger, we lived in a different time. And when I was younger, it was all about what's rational. What can you prove? Have you noticed? It's not so much about what you can prove nowadays. It's more about what you can feel. It's more about kind of like, well, what do you believe? Because kind of like, hey, man, it's okay to believe almost anything. Now, as Christians, we don't believe that. 
But the advantage is that your story has as much airtime as anybody else's. And so when you, you share your story and you share truth, you allow the Holy Spirit to do what He's good at, and that's lead people into all truth. And so let's learn to share our stories. And so this evening, I'm going to wrap things up with people that we meet matter to God. Now, if you were here, you would have known, you would have realized that there were four aspects to this. We started four weeks ago with the sermon, God's Heart Matters. And God's heart matters because God loves the lost. He has a passion to see all men and all women come into a living relationship with Him. And He loved the lost so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, whose only, whose primary purpose was to win people back into relationship with the Father. And because God's heart matters, you know what? My heart matters. And your heart matters. And why? Because unless our hearts reflect His heart, we are not going to have the same level of passion, compassion, or love for people that God has for them. And so we're saying, God, help us, Lord. Let our heart reflect yours. Because as our heart reflects yours, Father, we're then able to kind of be effective at ministering to people that we know and ministering to people that we meet. And so we're going to wrap up the Blessed series this evening, and I'm going to talk about people we meet. And we're going to look at the maestro this evening. We're going to look at the person that was the better at this than anybody else. We're going to look at Jesus himself. And so we're going to look at John chapter 4. If that's a little bit small, you can open up your iPhone or your Bible and you can follow along with me. But we're going to look at just how Jesus interacted. How did Jesus start conversations? How did he ask questions? How did he listen? And how did he share his story in such a way that people's lives were transformed? Now, let me give you a bit of background. John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples have been on a long journey. They've arrived at a town in Samaria. Samaria is the place where the Samaritans lived. Who were the Samaritans? Well, the Samaritans were a half-breed Israelite tribe. They weren't pure Israelites. That particular area of Samaria was where two of the tribes used to live. It's where the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, they were Joseph's sons. So whilst all of Jacob's sons got land, Joseph, there was no tribe of Joseph, but there was a tribe of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And this is where they hung out. Anyway, roll forward a couple of centuries, the Assyrians arrive, wipe out the Israelites, carry a whole lot of them off into captivity, and then they decide that what we're going to do is we're going to send foreigners to live there where the Israelites used to live. And so they send in a whole lot of tribes and people that your names you cannot pronounce, and they set up shop in, the in this place which used to be, belong to Ephraim and Manasseh. And so these guys pitch up there with their idols, etc., and they start intermarrying with the Israelites that have remained behind. And what results is this half-breed Israeli nation known as the Samaritans. And that's where they lived. They lived in Samaria. Now, because they weren't pure Israelites... And because they didn't serve the pure Israel, Jewish you know, religion, it was some kind of a much hodgepodge of it, the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And so that's the context. This is kind of racial segregation on uber level. And so Jesus arrives, he sends his disciples off to get some food, and he hangs out. And let's see what happens. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
And Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. It was about lunchtime. So the Bible tells us that Jesus arrives. He's tired. If I was Jesus, I'd probably go and find a tree somewhere, have a nap, try and recover. But what is Jesus doing? He's sitting next to the well. Because it's probably a place where he's likely to bump into people. So he's ready to engage. Who comes along? Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A woman. But not just any woman, a woman of Samaria. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Now this woman is coming along to the well, middle of the day, probably not the best time to come to the well. I'm not sure why she chose that time. Maybe she didn't want to bump into people. And she's coming along and she goes, oh my goodness, there's a man and it's a Jew. And she knows the enmity that, you know, that exists between Jews and Samaritans. And she knows that, you know, as a woman in that society, you, you have, your status is significantly lower than a man's. And so she thinks, at best, I'm going to be ignored. At worst, I'm probably going to be physically or verbally abused. And so she arrives, and she is shocked and horrified when Jesus addresses her and speaks to her and asks her for a drink of water. Jews would not touch anything that Samaritans would offer them. And so she is blown away because he has this Jewish man operating in a different spirit, one she has never seen before, operating counterculture. And so Jesus starts a conversation with her. Jesus answered her, verse 10, and said, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now he's got her attention. You see, Collecting water was a daily part of this woman's existence. If she didn't collect water, she didn't survive. Now, I don't know how far she walked to get water, but certainly it was a lot more tricky than you and I have today on just turning on a tap and getting a glass of water. So Jesus says to her, listen, lady, you're surprised that I'm a Jew and I'm speaking to you, but if you knew who I was, you would instead be asking me not just for ordinary water, for living water. And she is captivated. She said, whoa, my goodness. I'm into water, but this living water, that's got to be something special. But notice what happens. She's not about to invest just yet. She's got her heart. She's guarding her heart. She's kind of like, is this for real? Is this guy for real? And so she starts rationalizing things in her mind. And look what she says. She says, sir. You have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Besides, where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock? You see what she's doing? She's kind of like, I'm just not ready to just take what you're saying at face value. I I'm a little skeptical, I you know. Ah, uh, uh, no, no, um, you're not getting me that quickly. It's kind of like, where's that camera? You guys going to jump out of the bush any moment and go, ha, ha. She's kind of like, 
Schuster, yeah, yeah. Oh, shucks. But you see, folks, how many times do we encounter situations just like that? Where we're presenting, we're engaging, we're loving, we're living, and there's a skepticism. Maybe because they're just not ready to invest just yet. They like it, but they're not going to show you. They, they want it, but hold on. I, I'm just not sure that I'm ready to kind of expose my heart right now because it's sore. It hurts. Now watch what Jesus does. I mean, let me ask you, is Jesus greater than Jacob? Could he honestly and truthfully say, yes, I am? But does he? Let's go and have a look. Verse 13. He just ignores the question. And he carries on engaging on what the real issue is. Because he sees into our heart. He sees the real cry in our heart. And he goes on and he talks more about this living water. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. The water from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. And so Jesus simply, all he does is he ignores the question about Jacob and he just dives in and he says, let me tell you more about this water. Let me tell you more about this water. Not only will you never thirst again, but it will become this living well, the spring inside of you that will not only nourish you, but will nourish others around you forever and ever and ever. Now, now she doesn't quite get it yet. She's thinking, this is physical. She's thinking, I will naturally never need to drink again. And she's going, I'm never going to have to do this walk again in my life. But again, Jesus doesn't feel the need to correct that right there and then. Because all he does is he moves on. And now watch now how he partners with the Holy Spirit to establish the credibility in this message that he's giving her. He asks her a question. He says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. Because you have had five. And the person that you're living with now is not your husband. That's called the word of knowledge. That's when Jesus kind of just, the Holy Spirit just shows you something about somebody and you speak it and they go, oh my goodness, have you been watching me? Have you, who have you been talking to? But notice, friends, notice how honoring Jesus is when he brings this message. This is a very shameful thing. This is a woman that has kind of like low morals. She's kind of loose. She's, she's, she's had five husbands and now she's shacked up somewhere. Okay? But you see, Jesus is not judging her. In fact, he's honoring her. He's saying, well done. You've been honest. You've been truthful. Because I know. I know about your past. But well done for being honest. And she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. You see the credibility that is establishing? But the enemy is not done yet. The enemy takes one more crack at preventing this conversation from going to where it needs to go. And so he sows the seed in her heart and in her mind. And so she says, okay, so you're a prophet. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. 
You're a prophet. You're a Jewish prophet. What do you say? Can you see what's happening here? Again, she's, you know, the enemy's trying to get her off. The enemy's trying to get Jesus off course. He's trying to kind of make this about other stuff. But what does Jesus say? He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. We're getting to the crux because the woman there says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. This woman knew her Bible. This woman was yearning and seeking and searching as a Samaritan woman. She was saying, this Messiah is coming. This Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am him. I who speak to you, I am the Messiah. You see, folks, Jesus didn't get sidetracked. He didn't get, he he could have easily have gone off and defended and said things and, you know, but he just stuck to the course. Why? Because Jesus looked into his spirit and he saw the cry in his spirit and what she was seeking. She was seeking her savior. She was seeking her Messiah. And he gently, beautifully, and in an honoring way introduced her to her Messiah. And so what do we see, friends, when we see some of the principles of effective engagement? That Jesus sets for us. One, he hung out where he would find people. He hung out in the right places. He kind of said, I'm going to be here because I know there's a Samaritan woman whose life is going to be changed today. And I'm going to be part of that process. He started a conversation. And not just any way, he started it with a different spirit. He started in such a way, he just was counterculture. It didn't matter that he was a man and a Jew speaking to a woman who was a Samaritan. He said, I love you, and I'm going to start a conversation that demonstrates that love. He asked her questions. He listened to her with genuine interest, and then he told his story. But he didn't just tell it, friends. He told his story without judging her. He told his story without being distracted by peripheral, non-related, non-core issues. He listened to the Holy Spirit, and he brought words of knowledge, words of wisdom and encouragement. And he had a clear purpose in mind. His clear purpose was hearing and understanding the cry of her heart and introducing her to the Messiah, to the Christ. I'm also noticed that Jesus, he's not harassed by time. He's not kind of like, okay, how long is this going to take? And, you know, he's not kind of like maybe a rabbi is going to come along and that's, you know, that's going to be a more important conversation. Jesus is invested completely. He's not rushing around kind of like, you know, kind of like, well, okay, I've only got five minutes. Can I, you know, he's just there engaging with this woman, loving with this woman, and just being who he is, the Son of God. I'm so glad Jesus set that example because I'm sure I would have messed it up. I'm sure I might have taken a different approach, and I'm sure it wouldn't have been anywhere near as effective. I might have tried this macho approach. Hey, I'm the Messiah, and I'll be back. (laughs) Or how about the shock approach? I am your father. Maybe even the George Orwell animal farm approach. Jews and Samaritans, well, all men are equal, but some are just a little more equal than others. But Jesus doesn't take any of those approaches. He loves her. He engages with her. And he leads her to the place where she meets him face to face, her Messiah 
and her Savior. Friends, we have a vision. God has been stirring in our hearts as the leaders in every nation in Johannesburg. And He has set us a vision. And we are saying, God, help us reach the place where we can touch 10,000 people on a weekend. 10,000 people every week. Why? Not, we don't want to, not because we can be a mega church and we can kind of go 10,000 strong. Because we know that if we can be discipling 10,000 people every week, those people will go into the, all of society, across the city, and if each of those people touch another 10 or 20, we're touching 100 to 200,000 people with the love of Jesus every single week. And if 50 churches took that approach, we would touch every single person in Gauteng every single week with the love of Jesus. And that's why, Siv, Pastor Siv, I'm so excited when we have the ability to, you know, transform the foyer and transform our auditorium because we want to make it a place where people can feel safe and comfortable to interact with each other and interact with God. Because it's part of what God's saying to us. I'm going to entrust 10,000 people into your care. Or you're going to love them, disciple them, and give them a vision to touch the city. I want to tell you about one of my superheroes. I want to tell you about little Lauren Pretorius. Some of you may know her. Um, they used to fellowship here in Rosebank. Uh, Kun and Gina, her mother and father, are now the, the, um, the kids pastors at Every Nation Ramsach. And once, about 18 months ago, they were running a series similar to this one. A Bless the City. I don't, it wasn't called Bless the City, but it was a series similar to this one. And every single child was challenged to identify a friend, pray for that friend, and invite that friend to church. Lauren was six at the time. And so she thought about it and prayed. And then she told her dad that she wanted to invite her next door neighbor, Nikayla. Now, Kun, when he heard this, thought to himself, oh my goodness, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Because you see, for the years leading up to it, there'd been these friendly waves. Every time one person would arrive home and they'd see the other guys in the driveway, and there would be these friendly waves. And Kun wasn't sure that those friendly waves might be a little awkward going forward. But his daughter was set on inviting Nikayla, and so he said, all right, honey, let's pray. Let's help you draft that invitation. And she got home from church that day, all excited, dashed next door to Nikayla and gave her the invitation. Tuesday, Wednesday that week, Nikayla's mom, Nikki, puts her head over the wall and sees Gina and says, Gina, we are so excited to be coming with, with, to church on Sunday. And Gina goes, oh? She says, yes. She says, look, I, I know the invitation was for Nikayla, but... But would you guys really mind if Sean and I came along, uh, dropped her off, and just spent, you know, went to church with you guys? Gina's going, uh, that, that would be amazing. Kun and Gina chat that evening. They go, oh, my Lord Jesus. If it wasn't for our daughter that had broken the ice there, we've been waving at that couple, that family, for years, not realizing that in their heart they were saying, we just wish we could go with you on Sunday morning. And friends, do you know, we've been doing some kind of research, do you know that it's still one of the most effective ways that people come to know Christ is when they get invited to church and they see all of us interacting and they hear the word and they experience the worship 
and they respond to the call of God. And so, G- so little Lauren is one of my superheroes. And when Cooney told me that story a few, uh, about a year ago, I just knew that at some point I needed to celebrate that. And I knew that this series was the time to do it. Let's give them a hand. Amen. Because Sean, Nikki, and Nikayla are now plugged into Ramsach. They're loving God. They're loving life. They're loving people. And they're just so effective in the center of where God wants them as a family. Now, friends, I know that this is not easy. I know that kind of starting conversations with strangers is not the easiest thing in the world to do. In fact, it's easier for me, I want to be honest, it's easier for me to stand up here and preach in front of all of you than it is for me to start a conversation with somebody that I don't know on an airplane. Because at least I know that you guys came tonight wanting to hear what I've got to say. I'm not so sure of the guy that's sitting next to me on the airplane if he's got any interest in what I've got to say. But I started saying, but Lord... Why do I fear this so much? What is it? How do I overcome this fear? How do I kind of take that step and be able to kind of just pass on your love in a way? And how can I be as effective as you'd like me to be in this area? And God spoke to me and he started challenging me. And he said this. He said, Dorian, there are a few roadblocks. Guys, would you just help me there? Flick it to the next slide. There are a few roadblocks. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Because if these roadblocks are issues in your life, believe me, when you're faced with that fear, it's going to be a lot harder for you to take that step and press through. First thing he challenged me with is he said, Dorian, do you really believe that people are lost without me? Do you really believe that without me, people are going to hell? Do you really believe that hell is real? And that it's not just some mildly inconvenient place But it's a place that is very real, and it is a place that is full of incredible pain and suffering for eternity. Because, Dorian, if there's any doubt in your mind about whether you really believe that, when you're faced with fear, that's going to be the door. That's going to be the escape. Because what's the point of kind of putting yourself out there and exposing yourself if you don't really believe this? The second thing he challenged me on is he said, now, Dorian, if you really believe it, are you really living it? You know what, friends, the world, saved, unsaved, doesn't matter, is crying out for authenticity today. In the social media hype, you will see that when people see authenticity, it has likes and it gets forwarded. But when people see something that they kind of say, you know what, I think that's a little less than authentic. I think this is filled with just a little bit of false integrity. It's very quickly dished, dissed and tossed to the one side. Now, friends, if our lives are not reflecting what we believe, we are going to feel it's going to be very difficult to press through that fear because we're going to feel that we're exposed. We're not living up to that truth. Now, here's the thing, folks. We don't wait until we're perfect before we do this. But what it does, what God is expecting us to do and what others are expecting of us is that when we share the truth, we connect with them with empathy and then we are real about our vulnerabilities as well. If you're projecting this I'm perfect image when everybody knows you're not, it doesn't carry the weight. 
It doesn't reflect the truth of the message that we're trying to convey. But when we convey the truth and we connect with empathy and then we say, you know, folks, I struggle in this area too. I wish I was better here. I'm trusting God for a breakthrough here. I wish I was better at managing my finances too. I wish I was kind of more effective at saying no to those things that I've struggled with for many, many years. But when we're vulnerable and we're able to share that it's not in our strength but in His strength, we're able to connect and accord with people's hearts because they're saying, here's somebody that not only believes it but is doing everything in their power to live it as well. And when you realize that it's not in your power to do it, because the Word of God says that when we're weak, then we are strong. It's liberating, and it sets us free. But all, when all we're trying to do is pretend that we've got it together, when deep down we know we don't, we're not reflecting who He is. Third thing Jesus challenged me on, He said, do you care enough? In other words, you know that it's the truth. You're doing what you can to live this truth, but do you care enough that that person sitting next to you may be going to hell? Do you care enough that they may be lost without me? Because if I don't care enough, then I'm also not going to press through that fear barrier when I'm sitting in that situation wondering, this could be difficult or this could be awkward. And finally, he challenged me. He said, do I know enough? Do I know how to share effectively? Because you know what, folks? All of us can become more skilled. All of us can become more skilled at a understanding you know, socially, some of, us, some of us kind of say, well, look, I'm naturally quiet. It's not easy for me to speak. Well, I used to be like that too, believe it or not. And, and you know what? God doesn't want you to change who you are. He wants to use you as you are, but to press through. And so all of us can become more skilled at how we can be more socially aware and be more, you know, interact socially more effectively. But all of us can also become more aware of how, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me hear your voice. Practice is the way you hear the Holy Spirit's voice. Is when you kind of hear it and you kind of say, listen, I'm not sure, but can I test something? And you get to feel and you get a sense when, you know, the Holy Spirit's speaking and when it's, you know, just pizza. That's, uh... You see, folks, we can become more skilled at this too. And as God challenged me, I said, Lord, I want to prioritize these four things. Lord, I want to, I want to make sure that I'm never, ever questioning what your word says about salvation. God, I want to make sure that I am doing all I can in your strength to live this, Lord. Not just speak it, but live it as well. God, break my heart, Lord. When I see somebody, give me your heart for that person, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I will do what I can to become better at this. To pick up the right scriptures. To make sure that I can kind of engage effectively. Because Lord, I know that people's lives are at stake. I'm wrapping up. And I want to just share a few stories with you as we wrap up and then pray this evening. As part of Umbono, which is, uh, Pastor Siv was mentioning that I'm the managing director of a company called Umbono. It means vision. Almost 20 years old now, and we started it because we just wanted to see God use it to just impact the nation. And I, we started it because I primarily believe that God has called me into the marketplace first. As you can see, I love the church. I serve the church as much as I can. But this is maybe 5 10% of my time. 90% of my time is spent out there in the marketplace because that's primarily the gifting and anointing that God's placed on my life, and it's where we want to serve Him. Now, when we started on Borno 20 years ago, it was worth zero. 
And so we were able to be very generous with the shares. And so we gave shares to two trusts. And one of those is a trust called the Nipo Education and Development Trust. It's our trust. We started it. And we wanted to take money, dividends from the company, and put some of the best young minds to some of the best schools in South Africa. We were looking for the, for the Madibas, the Nelson Mandelas that were possibly chasing chickens in rural areas and give them an opportunity to go to some of the best schools so they would have the best opportunity to go to university and enter the destiny that God had for their lives. And so this group is the group that we had with us earlier this week because once a year we do a leadership camp with them. And so every year we bring out and we unpack biblical principles and leadership principles and we just share our lives with them. This year, I just sense God saying to me, this year, Dorian, it's going to go much deeper than just biblical principles. This year, it's going to get personal. This year, I want to touch individual people's lives. And so the theme this year was that movie, Beyond the River. I don't know how many of you have seen it. But Beyond the River is a fantastic movie. The whole essence of this movie is that there's two characters based on a true story. Dumi is the, 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 the one character from Soweto. Steve is the other character from the northern suburbs of Johannesburg. They're both paddlers, and they team up to do the doozy canoe marathon together. And in the process, they get to understand they have frustrations, but they get to hear and see and tell each other their stories. And so the whole movie, I'm not going to tell you what happened. You go and see it. The whole movie is about what's your story. Tell your story. And so the first thing that I want to tell you is that each of these kids told their stories and I was just blown away that as young as they are, these are grade 10s, 11s, and 12s, the stories of some of them, they broke my heart. Some of them fighting breast cancer. Some of them broken homes, broken families. Some of them living in gang-torn areas. Travel two hours to school in the morning and two hours back home on public transport. These are daughters that are no older than my daughter. And I'm kind of saying, oh, Lord Jesus. So when it came time for me to share my story, I just shared my story. I shared, I shared the highs. I shared the lows. I shared the victories. And I shared the failures. And I summed the whole thing up and I said, the thread, the single thread that runs through all of these, the highs, the lows, the, the victories and the failures, is my relationship with Jesus Christ. The following day, Cohen, one of my business partners, shared the same story, uh, his own story, but with the same outcome, that Jesus is that thread that has run through his life. Every single one of those children committed their lives to the Lord or recommitted their lives to Christ before the end of that camp. Let's give the Lord a hand. One of the young men, this man over here, can see he's a little older than the others. He was one of the beneficiaries 10 years ago. He then went off to university, maths and science, uh, became a teacher. He's just, been, he's just been employed by one of the private schools in the Midlands. He's sitting here and he's talking to me and he's saying, Dorian, how do I hear God's voice? Because he's a Christian. How, how do I become more effective at hearing God's voice? And so I'm giving him advice and I'm telling him you know, my things. And then God stops me and says, ask him if he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. I said, uh, duh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, sorry, Lord. Aura, 
have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes, he says. So I say, well, let me just test. This is what it means. It's post-salvation. The evidence of speaking in other tongues. No, I haven't had that. We pray. God shows up and always baptized in the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, when we prepared to go out on a limb and share our story, partner with the Holy Spirit, He shows up. Those of you that know me know that I've got three loves, primary loves in my life. First, God. Second, my family. And thirdly, cycling. Coffee is a fourth one, but let's just stay focused on those three for a moment, all right? I love cycling. I, I just, it, the experience that you get on a bicycle, just the freedom, the, the wind in your face, the, it's just, it's just there's something special. And when the bug bites, it just bites. Anyway, I get to cycle with a lot of guys, and as a result, it's opened a lot of relational doors. I've been approached by five different pro cyclists who've asked me to officiate at their weddings. And that's an amazing opportunity because here are the conditions. You come and you do the pre-marriage course at our church. We sit down and we spend time together and we talk about Jesus and his relationship with you. And then I get to preach a great word at the wedding and I get to challenge people about who Jesus is and I get to demonstrate a different spirit. And people are going, oh my goodness, we've never heard this before. This is the best wedding I've ever been to. And as a result, pro cyclists who go to pro cyclist weddings just keep asking me to kind of do them more and more of their weddings. And I love it. I love it. Because it's a great way for us to kind of show them the love of God. But there's something else I love. So on Saturday mornings, we typically do long rides. And we just invite guys to go riding with us. And a lot of people just love hanging out with us, with Kuni, myself, with Howard, and a couple of the other guys here, Craig Vaughan, Miguel De Santos. They love hanging out with us because we just, I don't know, we just, it's an extension of our love for Jesus and each other when we're on our bikes. And there's something that attracts them to our group. And so, so let, don't get me wrong, we drill each other as well, Okay. So, so typically, we'll meet at Northcliffe somewhere, and we'll kind of take a cruise out along Hendrik Potgitter, and then we get to the bottom of Krugersdorp Hill, and we'll kind of be looking at each other, and the next minute, someone will bolt, and it'll be game on, and it'll be like 15 minutes of all-out effort up to the top of the hill, and whoever gets there first kind of like looks back, you know, and kind of like says, good effort, dude. What you're really saying is, but not as good as mine, right? And so we drill each other, and we have so much fun. And we get to the top of Krugersdorp Hill, and then we start kind of like recovering. Heart rate comes down again. We start going through, uh, you know, um, on deckers, and we start making way back. And guys start talking. And so the one man starts saying to me, saying, I'm really having a challenging situation at home. You know, um, my sister and I haven't spoken for years. As a result... It's causing issues between me and my other siblings and my parents, and I just don't know what to do. And then he says, and my father-in-law is very sick, and he's struggling, and we don't know. We think, we think this could be serious. And I'm talking, and I'm sharing, and we're sharing, and I'm just kind of encouraging him. And then he says, and you know what? Personally, I'm struggling as well, because there's some issues in my past that is coming into my marriage. And it's causing stress between my wife and I, and, and, and we just don't know what to do about it. And so I say, 
Let's pray. We don't close our eyes because that could be foolish. <laughs> but as we're riding along and we're just crying out to God and we're saying, Lord, show up. Lord, you just intervene. Lord, you just touch this man's life. Lord, you just show up. Lord, you deal with the hurts in the past because enemy, you're not going to steal from this family. We're exposing your works right now. About five, six months ago, left the morning service early after worship, dashed across to Ramsach area because he and his wife were being baptized in their church. And I just celebrated and give God all the glory. You see, folks, it's not about trying to be someone you're not. If you just are who you are, God will bring those people across your path. It's just being ready to say, Lord, when they come, give me the faith and the confidence to press through and start the right conversations. Amen.